Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, have a word of prayer as we prepare uh, to receive God's word as we study it together. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for the joy that, that you have given to us uh, beginning at Christmas, Father, when you sent your Son and Jesus, he came into this world to reveal who you are to us, Lord, to teach us how to live, and also, Lord, to save us from our sins. We give you thanks, Father, for these children and for the joy that they bring, and we ask that these truths that they have sung will continue to sink deeper and deeper into their hearts and into their lives. Lord, you are so good. We worship you this morning, and we all, in the name of Jesus, pray these things. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, I want to welcome you to Unwrapped Week 3. Uh, we are, this Christmas season, unwrapping some truths that help us prepare our hearts and our lives to celebrate truly uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And today, uh, we're going to be thinking about unwrapping peace. Now, we're only nine days from Christmas and just to help us kind of get into this message, I want to begin by playing a quick game we'll call Name That Christmas Tune. Are you up for that? Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, I want you just to shout out the answers uh, when you think you know what the songs are. You can identify them in just a few notes. And we're going to start, um, see if you can name this first song in only five notes. Listen. Frosty the Snowman. You guys are amazing, all right? That's, okay, so next one we're going to do, we're just going to give you four notes. See if you can name this, this tune in just four notes. What song is that? Silent Night. All right. I still think it may be a little bit too easy. So this time you only get three notes, but since they're the same three notes, we're going to play it twice just to help you out, all right? You guys are amazing. You're just amazing, right? Okay. Well, last one, I want you to name this song. And this is a song that is associated in many minds as like almost the soundtrack for the Christmas season. And you only get two notes. Again, we'll play them twice just to help you out. All right? Are you ready? Name that song? Jaws. Yeah, the, the theme to Jaws, all right? Well, for many people, that's kind of how the Christmas season feels, right? It's like, it's going to eat me alive. Here it comes. You know, it's like the shark of Christmas shopping. For some of us, it's the shark of Christmas visits with the relatives. You know, uh, for some of us, it's other things, Christmas parties. And the truth is, for many people, uh, Christmas is not uh, the most wonderful time of the year. It is the most stressful time of the year. Anybody want to give a witness right here? And, you know, there's something called festive stress. It's actually a real thing. Uh, recent research done uh, says that 31% of us describe the season as frantic. That's our word for it. And they say that on average, the stress emerges on December 13th, and it moves from mild to severe on December 18th, which means you have two good days left. <laughs> and then it, like, peaks on Christmas Day at 2.05 PM. And I don't know who's like watching with that kind of precision, but that's what they say. It's like right at the time we're sitting down for Christmas dinner. Now, you may want to know that this research was commissioned by the U.S. Blueberry Council. 
And so you might not be surprised that their recommendations to deal with Christmas stress includes eating more blueberries. Uh, Well, maybe you're not feeling that way about Christmas, but you're kind of dreading the new year. Maybe 2018 has not been a good year for you, and you're just thinking, well, what is waiting for me in 2019? Well, wherever you are, this is exactly why I think today we need to unwrap peace. We need to think together what God's Word tells us about releasing worry. If you haven't already done that, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And as you're getting there and we're beginning, I just need to warn you about this passage. This is a very dangerous passage, especially if you've been in church for very long. And here's the reason why. You have probably read this passage many, many times heard sermons preached on it many times. Some of you have memorized verses from this passage. And maybe this is a passage you feel like you know and there's like nothing new for you to hear. I want to suggest to you that this passage is one of the best known yet least practiced passages in the entire Bible. Uh, It has what you might call the pledge of allegiance factor. You know what I'm talking about when you're a kid. You know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and You just can keep going, and you've said it so many times. You don't even think about it. You don't even really process what it means. You just say the words. So many Christ followers, I think, are familiar with these words, so familiar that they respond when they hear them, like, I already know that. I already know what that's going to say, and I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to listen because I believe the Holy Spirit has something that he wants to do in your life. He has something very powerful he wants to work in your life today. He wants to unwrap peace in your life. And peace is God's will for you as his child. And we're going to start with verses 4 and 5. And Paul writes, very familiar words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, how many of you, maybe when you first heard these words, maybe even if you're familiar with them, you you read them, you hear them, and they kind of can sound shallow or simplistic, right? Sounds sort of like positive thinking or maybe like cheesy cliches from a motivational speaker. But you would only think that, you would only say that if you did not remember who it was who wrote them. And what was going on in his life. The story behind these words. Maybe you've forgotten that it is the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. Maybe you have forgotten that when Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. And that he was in his life in prison multiple times. Tortured eight times that we know of. Shipwrecked three times. Flogged almost to death twice. Paul was robbed by bandits on the road. He was attacked by wild animals. He was slandered by his enemies. In fact, the very first time that he visited this city of Philippi, he was thrown into jail unjustly. And maybe you remember what he did when he was sitting in that jail. Did he complain? Did he pout? No. Maybe you remember that at midnight, Paul was singing praise to God. See, Paul, despite all these painful and stressful experiences, somehow knew peace, somehow knew joy. And when he writes this letter, he is now an older man. He has been jailed again. He is in Rome. He's awaiting execution by Nero. 
He is in constant physical pain from an unnamed thorn in the flesh. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And yet this letter is just filled with peace and joy. I don't know if you've ever sat down and just read through the entire letter. It's actually very short, only 104 verses. You can read it in about 20 minutes, like you could read it during halftime today, and it would be better than the halftime show. It's not very long, but Paul mentions in that very short span the the word joy and the concept of joy 17 times. Now, here's the question. How in the world would he know that kind of peace, that kind of joy, living that kind of life? Well, he gives us an answer in verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, this is huge because this is not Paul saying, you know, I'm always a joyful person. I just have peace all the time. It's in my DNA. It's just kind of who I am. Always a smile on my face. He's not saying that at all. He says, I learned it. And he's admitting it's not natural to me. And would you agree that's good news to us? It's good news to me. It's good news to you because it's not natural to me. I know that and it's probably not natural to you. But if Paul learned how to have peace and Paul learned how to have joy, that means I can learn it and you can learn it as well. Well, how did Paul learn it? I think if you look at these verses that we're going to study this morning, you will see there are four habits embedded in these verses that help uh, joy and help peace to grow. And I want you to see they are habits. They are disciplines. See, in other words, if you want to experience peace and joy in your life, you need to do some things. You need to practice some things. You need to build some habits into your life. It won't just happen naturally as if by magic. So don't wait for peace to appear in your life, especially when life is hard because it's not going to happen. You need to build some habits into your life. Well, here's the first thing that Paul tells us, the first habit to build into our lives. He says, worry about nothing. And our immediate reaction, I think, when we hear those words is, no way. That's not possible. But that is what Paul says, isn't it? Look at the first verses of first words of verse 6. He begins, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I want to really drive this home. So, like, underline or circle those last two words, about anything. And be honest with yourself. If you're saying and thinking in your mind right now, that's impossible. Paul didn't think it was. And Jesus didn't think it was impossible. Now, we know that from his very... Uh, famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And you go read that sermon, you'll see that worry is one of Jesus' central subjects. He talks about worry as much as, as prayer and relationships and money. And what does Jesus say about worry? Well, look at these verses. In Matthew six twenty five. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And in verse 34, he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So three times in ten verses, Jesus commands us, Do not worry. Now think about this. Jesus says, Don't. 
And I know you don't want to hear this this morning, but that means worry is a sin. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. I mean, just think about how we excuse worry. What's your excuse for worry? What's your favorite go-to? You know, some of you think that worry is this positive aspect in your life, this attribute that it means you just care about things, you know, more than some other people do. Some of you say you can't help it. We all have excuses, and it's kind of an interesting thing. We, we, we judge people about all kinds of sins, but when it comes to worry, this sin that Jesus talks about as much as anything else, we just excuse it. We say stuff like, well, I'm just wired that way. Why doesn't Jesus want us to worry? You know, the Greek word for worry literally means to have a divided mind. Worry divides our attention. It fragments our focus. It, it leads to what psychologists refer to as Uh, the loss of the power to will. When you are worrying, your tension becomes so fragmented. You you can't focus on any one thing. You can't take action. It's like you're you're thinking, what about this and what about that? You never get anywhere. You're just spinning your wheels. Rick Warren has a great quote about worry. He says, worry can't change the past. Worry can't control the future. Worry can only ruin the present. It is utterly useless. More than that, though, worry says that I am not trusting God as my father to take care of me like he's promised he would. You know, worry questions if God is really who he says he is. Worry asks the question, is God really in control? Is God really good? See, when I worry, I am always in some way doubting those truths. Now, having said this, and I want you to hear what I've been saying with the full force of it. Worry is something we are commanded not to do. That means worry is a sin. I want you to hear this, but we need to be very careful. If you just hear what I've said so far without looking at the rest of this passage, you can make a mistake, and the mistake will be thinking that the Bible is telling you, you know, even though my heart is breaking and even though my life is falling apart, even though everything is going wrong, what I need to do according to the Bible is just pretend everything is okay. Just smile because the Bible says don't worry. And this is not what that means. Even though a lot of people go there a lot. Now, I, I kind of stumbled across an old memory this week from when I was a kid in Sunday school, you know, back in the Paleolithic, <laughs> Mesozoic era. When I was really young in Sunday school, we had these things called records. Some of you don't remember this. I mean, I know vinyl's coming back, but we had these records, and sometimes they would play us records uh, by this woman named Marcy. And I want you to show you a cover. Uh, of one of these, Sing with Marcy. And Marcy is the woman, and she has a ventriloquist dummy who is called Little Marcy. And so the, the thing with her was that all of the songs were sung in this really kind of odd, high-pitched ventriloquist dummy voice. This is how she did all the songs. And so we were, you know, to hear these songs, you're supposed to learn things. And, and a lot of these songs were like put on a happy face songs. Um, probably her biggest hit among the Sunday school crowd was Let the Sun Shine In. You remember that song? Anybody remember that song? Um, so let the sun shine in. Join me now. Face it with a grin. 
Smilers never lose and frowners never win, so let the sun shine in. Kind of catchy, right? Maybe some of you remember. Smilers never lose, frowners never win. So some of you losers here need to start smiling, you know? I looked up some more of the verses, and they honestly kind of go off the rails a bit. I mean, here's one of the verses. And think about this. This is what we are teaching kids to, to le- learn and live like in Sunday school. In fact, let me just take a quick survey. How many of you, you know, you remember some of these songs from Sunday school? Anybody here? There's a few of you here. I, I see some of these hands. We were all in the cult together, I think, <laughs> just a few of us. So here's, here's a verse from this Let the Sun Shine In. It goes like this. Mommy told me something a little kid should know. It's all about the devil, and I've learned to hate him so. I, I thought it was all about Jesus. <laughs> she said, this is about the devil, she said he causes trouble when you let him in the room, and he will never, ever leave you if your heart is filled with gloom. I know he'll be unhappy because I'll never wear a frown. Maybe if we keep on smiling, he'll get tired of hanging around. I mean, this is like how you create a generation of neurotics. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. And then you like couple that with that. (laughs) The whole ventriloquist dummy thing is kind of freaky, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like... You know, you see that's like uh, kids, don't make me come to your house and find you frowning. (laughs) Or I'll bring my friend Chucky. (laughs) And Satan will never leave you. I mean, some of you, like, if you're offended right now, I mean, you're a little Marcy lover. Okay, I I like the little Marcy. And and I always welcome your emails. You can always email me at jmills at southwinds.org. No problem. But, but here's the thing. A lot of us absorb this idea that do not worry means you put a fake smile on your face no matter what. But that's not what the Bible teaches anywhere. Anywhere. That's not joy. That's not peace. So how do you worry about nothing? And here's what I want you to see today. It is only as you apply this first command and build this first habit into your life within the context of what Paul is saying in this whole passage, what he's writing. Paul intended us to follow this command as we also follow what he tells us in these next few verses. In other words, it's a much more complex picture, and we'll understand it better as we unwrap these next habits. We experience peace, and it starts by worrying about nothing, but that's not all. Because Paul also says, secondly, we are to pray about everything, Look again at verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The New Living Translation says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Pray about everything. Do you do that? Speaking for myself, I, I, I don't often do that. I often find that I'm praying too vaguely about too few things. And in fact, I think part of what Paul is telling us here is that we are to get specific with God. 
The Phillips uh, paraphrase says, tell God every detail of your needs. Some of you might be wondering, well, why does God do it this way? I mean, God already knows all of my needs, right? Jesus actually says that in the Sermon on the Mount. So why does God ask us to pray specifically about everything? Well, here's the answer. I think Paul is getting to the root of anxiety. Prayer attacks the root of worry, which is a lack of intimacy with God. See, the farther you feel you are from God, the easier it is to worry. The closer it seems to you God is, the easier it is to trust him. And, And see, one of these causes of worry is this lack of intimacy with God. So Paul doesn't just tell us to stop the effect. He says, work on the cause. And you work on the root of your anxiety and lack of intimacy with God by praying specifically about everything in your life. So it's Christmas. What are you worrying about right now, like today? What's going on in your life? Does, does your worry, your anxiety have anything to do with money like you don't think you have enough? Then talk to God about it. Are you dreading one of those Christmas visits with part of your family that you could probably just as soon do without? Talk to God about it. Tell him about it. Is Christmas hard for you because of some deep, long-ago, horrible experiences just way in your past. Christmas has always been not a good time for you. Well, talk to God about it. Maybe Christmas is going to be hard for you this year because of a more recent loss in your life. Talk to God about it. And before we move on any further, I just want to encourage you, why don't you write down one or two words, that thing that you should be praying about because it's weighing on you right now and you haven't been talking to God about it. Worry about nothing. How? Well, it starts by praying about everything. You see, this is not about not facing reality. This is not about living in denial. The Bible is so honest. We we face our worries head on and we give them to God in prayer. We build this habit into our lives. We also, Paul tells us, incorporate a third habit. That is, thank God in all things. Notice again in verse 6 when Paul tells us to pray. And you'll notice he uses three different words to describe prayer, different aspects of prayer. How does he say we should pray? He says we should pray with God. Thanksgiving. You might want to underline that. As we pray, we thank God for all that he has done. We give God thanks. And the truth of the matter is most of us are fine with thanking God and giving thanks to him like when the sky is blue and the sun is shining. But Paul is saying, give thanks even in the dark. He says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever find yourself asking, I still want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, let me tell you, on the authority of God's word right here, part of God's will for your life is that you give thanks in all things. Have you accepted that as God's command to you, his will for your life? You say, I don't know that you can really do that. Well, this is where Paul gives us, again, such credibility. He is, again, writing these words under arrest in prison. He is awaiting trial before Nero. Remember, he has been beaten and tortured and shipwrecked and robbed. He's gone through so much more than that. And what does that tell you? 
Well, it tells you there's always something for which we can be thankful. Somebody here, you need to write that down right now. There's always something for which we can be thankful. Notice that he doesn't tell us that we are to give thanks for all things. We are to give thanks in all things. There's always something for which we can be thankful. You know, we can't always see it at first. But we can trust that on the authority of God's word, there is uh, something we can thank God for. If we will listen to God's direction, if we will look at the situation, we can know that this is God's will for us and we can be thankful because God tells us to always give thanks. Have you ever asked yourself why giving thanks to God is so important? I'm going to quickly just give you a couple of reasons, but there are so many if we study the Bible, we see them. First of all, giving thanks turns our focus to God and away from self. You know, when everything is going you know, good in our lives, we, we tend to think we're the source of our success and thankfulness reminds us that we are dependent on God. Giving thanks connects us to God, just like prayer does. Thanksgiving is prayer. And it connects us to God. I can think of at least three ways really quickly. Giving thanks reminds us that God is in control, that he can bring good out of evil, first of all. Secondly, giving thanks reminds us that God promises never to leave us or forsake us, even when our life is hard. That's something we need to remember in those moments. Third, giving thanks reminds us that God promises to never stop loving us. You know, if you take the time you will literally find dozens of reasons why giving thanks in all things is so important. Some of you might hear that and you might think, well, I can see how that works out for some people, Mike, but you know, I am going through a really hard time in my life. There are some really bad things in my life. Well, let's take it a step further. Let's say you're at a point in your life and you, have, you are going through or you have gone through a horrible loss. Maybe you have a devastating disease. Maybe you're thinking, okay, some other people can give thanks to God, but there is nothing but pain and devastation and suffering surrounding me right now. That might be your circumstance. So what do you do if that's the case? Well, I'm going to push us to the ultimate example, and that example is Jesus. You know, the Bible says that on the night that he was betrayed, he was about to be crucified, and he knew exactly what was about to happen to him. We find this in Luke chapter 22. He's with his disciples in the upper room. They are celebrating what we know as the Lord's Supper. And we are told he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. I think a lot of times I kind of skip over that in my mind. I forget that he gave thanks. And then he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. Do you ever stop to ask what it is that Jesus was giving thanks for here? I mean, was Jesus thinking, Father, thank you so much for this delicious bread. I love the organic 21 whole grains and seeds. It's kind of nutty, not too sweet. It's delicious bread. Thank you, God, for this bread. No. That's not what was going on here. Was he giving thanks for the pain and the sorrow and the betrayal and the death that he was about to experience? I don't think so. We're told in Hebrews 12 too, 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I think Jesus was giving thanks for what was going to come from his suffering. You say, well, that's great for Jesus because he was God and he knew the future, but I don't know the future, so I can't thank God for what's ahead. Well, don't you? I mean, if we believe the Bible is God's word, real quick test here, just a, or a check, I should say, real quick check here. Who believes the Bible is God's word? You know, we say theology by voting sometimes around here. <laughs> so if you believe that the Bible is God's word, then here's the reality. There are many things you can know are true about your future. I want to give you a short list, okay? And we're going to put all this up on the screen right now. I'm going to go through it really fast. Um, you can take a picture. You're not going to be able to keep up with it. We'll put it up on Facebook if you'd like to do that. But here are some things that we can give thanks for. I can give thanks that, first of all, I have received by grace total forgiveness of all my sins, past, present, and future. Amen? Amen. I can give thanks that I am God's beloved child now and forever. I can give thanks that in all things God will work for the good of those who love him. I can give thanks that I will receive all the grace I need at all times so that I will abound in every good work God has for me. I can give thanks that God will complete the good work he began in me. And I can give thanks that one day I will be raised from the dead, never to die again. I can give thanks. This is so good. Someday, someday soon, and it's going to be sooner than any of us think, I will see Jesus, be with him, and be like him. And I can give thanks that when that day comes, I will know joy and pleasure forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. See, this is just a small sample. We could go on for a long time with this. All of these things are true, and they're true about your future if you are in Christ. Amen? See, when your focus is on these promises, you can unwrap peace. You can know peace, and you can know joy. It all depends on where your focus is. We thank God in all things. I heard this week about a man who a number of years ago Uh, suffered a terrible tragedy. He and his wife, they lost a child in a drowning accident in their home swimming pool. It's like every parent's worst nightmare. And he said, reflecting back on this, of course, we were devastated. For months, we cried out to God in such grief. And then he said, finally, The only way out of that grief was to thank God for the promise that he was going to somehow weave even that tragedy into something for his glory. He said, I realized that I had no other place to go with my agony. I was on an endless loop of agony, and gratitude to God was my only exit ramp. I am not in any way saying that giving thanks in all things is easy. It is not easy. It is incredibly hard. And it's even harder for some of us than it is for others of us. But for all of us, it is God's command. And God promises to empower us as we give thanks. And this is how we unwrap peace in our lives. 
It's how we release worry. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. We thank God in all things. And then finally, fourth, this fourth habit, we, we think on the right things. What does this mean? Well, look at verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I just want to focus for a moment on the first word in that list, whatever is true. When Paul uses this word, he is always talking about doctrine, who God is, what's wrong with this world, what God is doing in this world to fix what is, what is broken. And he is saying, if you want to unwrap peace in your life, God's truth is what gives you peace, what sets you free. You know, so many times when we're worried, we go looking for like tips and techniques to help us with our worries. You know, that's what you're going to find if you read a an article online or in a magazine about reducing anxiety. It's what you're going to get if you go to a bookstore and you look for a book on how to deal with your worries. And maybe some of us, that's what we think we need right now with all the stress of Christmas. Like, I, I need to work on my breathing. Or I need to take a nap. I vote for naps in, on Sunday afternoons. Some of you would say, I need to eat better. And you probably do. I mean, all of these things, there's nothing wrong with them. They may help you some, but I want to tell you today, if you want to know peace, what you really need is truth. You need truth. You need God's truth about who he is and what he says about you, who you are, and how he is at work in this broken world, restoring all the things that we have broken by our sin. You need truth. Paul is saying, think about what is true. This is like big picture stuff. You say, well, the world is messed up. That's true. But God has a plan. That's also true. And God's plan, we see it at Christmas, is to send his son into this world to rescue the world because he loves you. That's very true. Amen? And that means, this is also true, you have great worth in God's eyes. And we are told that he is even now preparing a new heaven and a new earth without any sorrow, without any tears for you. That's all True. And if you're a Christ follower and you say, I believe all that doctrine, but today you say, I don't have peace and I don't have joy, then Paul, I think, would say, maybe part of the problem is you're not thinking. You need to think big picture, like what is ultimately going to happen? How is God going to work out everything for his glory? You know, I, I don't know how many of you uh, are wearing a cross around your neck or on your wrist or you have a cross tattooed somewhere on your body. But if you do that, you are showing in that way a symbol of the greatest example of what it is I'm talking about here. You know, when Jesus was crucified, if you were one of his friends, you would have looked at him on that cross and you would have said, this is the worst thing that I could ever have imagined. And it just happened. What a total disaster and catastrophe. And yet you would have been looking straight at the greatest thing that God has ever done toward the redemption of this broken planet. God is saying that the cross is just the prime example of what I am doing in everyone's 
life. And you think on that truth, and what's the result? Well, you're going to have some peace that's going to come into your life, and that peace is going to protect you. There's a verse that we passed over. I want to go back to it. We skipped verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. New Living Translation says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now this word, that Paul uses for guard refers to a, a Roman garrison guarding a town. And, and Philippi was a Roman military town. There were many soldiers that were there, and they would have gotten this picture. Paul is saying, you'll have this sense of protection because you know that God is guarding you. He's got your back. You know what will happen in your life ultimately. And if you have forgotten this today, and you find that you're worrying especially right now, could it be that what you most need to do is not finish that Christmas list? Maybe you think, if I just finish that Christmas list, then all my worries will go away. Could it be that that's not what you need to do unless you haven't gotten the gift for your pastor yet? (laughs) Could it be that what you most need to do is not get busy baking more Christmas cookies or not watch just one more Hallmark Christmas movie? Could it be that what you most need to do is spend time thinking, spend time with your Heavenly Father, taking in the truth of His Word, thinking on what He has told us in the Bible, letting His peace guard your mind and your heart with his truth. Final verse in our passage today, verse 9, takes us back to what I warned us about at the beginning of this message. And it's simply this. Don't let the familiarity of these verses lull you into thinking that you're doing them just because you know them, just because you've heard them a lot of times. Verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, what are the next four words? Put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. See, God wants you to unwrap his peace today, this Christmas season, actually all year round. He wants you to unwrap his peace. And this is a real thing. You can know his peace. Do you believe it? More importantly, are you willing to do what God has told you to do? Are you willing to put it into practice? So here's what I'm talking about. Will you commit yourself to worry about nothing and pray about everything? And then when you start worrying, and you will, many of us will worry about something Today, okay, I'm just letting you know ahead of time. If you don't worry about something today, I guarantee you'll worry about something this week. It's going to happen. When you find that you have started worrying, will you remember to pray? And will you start praying about everything? And then when you again forget 
and you start worrying? Will you pray again? And will you just keep doing that? Will you fight the fight of building these habits into your life? Worry about nothing by praying about everything. Will you just keep doing this even when you don't feel like it? And along with this, will you give thanks to God in all things? And then thank him some more. And then after that, thank him again and just keep on thanking him. When you find yourself worrying and you're losing God, that peace, will you remind yourself to think on God's truth and focus on what is really real? We have a father and he is good and he is in control and he is filled with mercy and patience and love for his children. Friends, that's how you can unwrap peace in your life. And this is God's word for us this morning. All God's people say, would you bow your heads as we pray together?